This is a Broad Pods production. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you chiching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is Broad Radio. For you, by you. Broad Radio. Here for more. Hello and welcome to another Broad Radio. I'm Jo Stanley and my co-host today is the amazing Bianca Chatfield. Hi there, B. Oh, hello. I finally decided to wear pink when we're <laughs> filming Broad Radio to match your beautiful background. And isn't it nice to start the day off with a bit of bright colour? It really is. You look glorious. We have a beautiful show coming up for you. In just a moment, we're going to be joined by Australia's most multitasking media doyen. I just said the word doyen. Bianca, I don't know if I've ever said that word before. Gretel Colleen will be joining us. I absolutely love her work and I can't wait to catch up with what she has been up to. Also, we're going to be talking burnout, bullying and taking back your power with former doctor, now author of a book called Emotional Female, Yumiko Kadota. We are continuing our work with Morris Blackburn Lawyers because we believe passionately in empowering you with knowledge and letting you know what your rights are with regard to compensation. And today we're going to be talking about road injury and in a moment Bianca you're going to give us the rundown on the amazing AFLW grand final that we all absolutely loved over the weekend I just need to mention if you are joining us on YouTube it would be really awesome if you could chuck us a subscribe we would love it if you could like Mm -hmm. and subscribe if you're joining us on Facebook chuck us a like or a follow and you know what you can always catch up if you don't manage to listen to the whole of this show or watch it or you want to catch up on previous episodes we are now available on podcast as well broad radio on the go wherever you catch up with your podcasts that's how you can hear us anytime whilst you're out walking jogging um going to work whatever you do now we have to get to the aflw over the weekend uh bianca i absolutely loved it congratulations to the brisbane lions to taking out the grand final and in front of twenty-two thousand people how glorious was it oh it was so great to see joe and for those that don't know this is the fifth year of the aflw brisbane lions have been one of the teams that have been at the top for a lot of those five years probably there's only one year where they really took a back step when they were regathering players that they'd missed out on but they've been in two grand finals they've lost both of those grand finals and they finally as they say third time lucky got to get the win in adelaide against Adelaide Crows at Adelaide Oval. That would be the toughest place to be able to play. Every other team says they hate going to Adelaide and playing at Adelaide Oval. So it was an incredible performance by the Lions. They got up by 18 points. And the thing that I really love and when we put when I put my leadership and team culture hat on is that the Lions, they have some standout young players. They have a lot of Queenslanders, which is great, but they also, there's just, they all just play their role within the team. There's so many of them that don't get the attention they deserve because they all just go, all right, if I'm in the back line, I'm going to do everything that I can 
get it to the forward line, the forward line get all the attention, but the back line don't care. They just get it done. They had intense pressure and they were just tackling anybody that came near them. So it was a huge performance by them. I mean, the tackling was ferocious in this game from both sides, but particularly Brisbane, I guess, because they got up in the end. But (laughs) I, I wonder if that's one of the things that's specific to the women's game. And I've heard other women and men comment on this, that it's very no-nonsense style of play and there are no heroes and there's no stars. It's very team culture. So much so. And even off the field, a significant moment I think that happened in the female football as compared to AFLM was Chelsea Randall, the captain of the Adelaide Crows, she got concussed in the preliminary final. Rather than go and fight that, that you know you need 14 days post-concussion now after we're learning how awful brain trauma can be after concussion, she just put her hand up straight away and said, no, I'm not playing, I'm not going to challenge it, I feel okay, but it's not the right thing to do. And then plenty of the male players came out and said, oh, my God, I would have been so desperate just to play in a grand final, I would have done it anyway. Mm. And that's the exact problem with concussion and head injuries. So Chelsea Randall, such a selfless act and just shows what an incredible person and captain she is. Um, I want to make comment around Shani Layton retiring. And, uh, you know, we heard, we saw her interview in the last couple of days where she just said, yes, she could keep playing, but she also needs to think about her future. Can you, can you just sort of expand on what the choices our women are having to make between a football, you know, the sport they love and actually then, you know, having a career? Shani, she spoke so well about it, but uh, what it is is, you know, for female athletes, you have to have other jobs outside of just playing. And when you are in season and for AFLW, it's nine weeks a year they're in season. So they've got to pretty much give up most of their life for that nine, 10 weeks and then try and pick up what is a normal job after that. And so what Shani was saying was that if she could keep playing, she feels good enough, but she's 33 now turning 34 and she doesn't want to have to start another career outside of her athlete life and start you know as a graduate in a certain position she wants to go in and build her way up she just is it's it's just so hard to do that when she also wants to start a family Uh, and so she basically made the call that she wants to have a good crack at a career outside of being an athlete first then start a family and she's got to squash all that up into the next couple of years and if she kept playing footy it wasn't going to be possible so even though more female sports are becoming full-time for the athletes, more money is coming into the game, it's still just a harsh reality that happens. And uh, unfortunately for Shans, we won't see her out there again, or unfortunately for us. But I know for her, she's got plenty of great things ahead for her because she's such a great person in the media uh, and also in the coaching world in netball and will be joining together to do the commentary for the Super Netball coming up. Oh, she's extraordinarily talented in so many different areas, but it is a real shame for the sport too that we tend to lose these senior players who possibly are at the top of their game, but that's because they've hit that age where they're like, well, what? I've got to make a choice now. That's exactly right. But also you think too when you females are wanting to have babies that it's been a huge uh, talking point over the last couple of years is around female fertility issues. If they let their athlete life go too long, then will they struggle to have kids once they decide they are ready to? So we're finally seeing in sports there's maternity leave policies that are coming in so the athletes can go away and have a family but still have the ability to come back and play professionally if they choose to do so. And never, ever, ever before have we seen that in female sports. So I know cricket have a female maternity policy now, or netball do, uh, AFLW will have to start to bring that in to support any mums that want to actually come back and play so that you don't have to give up your career to have a family, but you can try and get both if that's what you want to. Oh, these women are such trailblazers. Like they're working so hard to change a culture. Speaking of which, though, B, I have to just mention that my daughter, who's 12, Willow, she started her very first, uh, well, she started her career in AFL on, on Sunday. She, <laughs> she played her first footy game, absolutely fell in love with it. We fell in love with the culture as well as that sort of family environment. But when I was watching these amazing little 12-year-olds just running around having the time of their life, just loving every minute, some of the players on the field were extraordinarily talented, you know, just had that that flair that you see in some kids you know and you go wow that's just a natural gift and it really occurred to me that I was surprised to see that in a girl and I'm like why like I I, of course (laughs) girls have played footy for you know 
decades. And I realized it's because men have been the gatekeeper for a sport and we've kind of felt like we were borrowing it from them. And now we're like, nah, nah, we own it as well in our own way. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. And you can do it in your own way. For too long, I think we've seen AFL and rugby and everyone's like, you've got to play like the male game because that's all we've ever seen on TV. Whereas now I love that women and females, young girls are able to play the game however they want to play it. And if they're good at it, then it's awesome. And it's a great stepping stone for them to hopefully have a career out of it. Uh, How did you go as a parent watching Willow? Were you one of those ones screaming over Collingwood supporter and just absolutely (laughs) screaming over the sidelines? Well, I feel like you've typecast me there as a Collingwood supporter. I'm a very, very (laughs) we are both. So I'm a very fair supporter. And for us, like it's a first game. So we're so excited when she took her first mark and took her first kick. And, you know, that was amazing. But the thing was to be, I turned up and they've gone, we need a runner. Joe, you're it. Oh. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> I'll put the, the green way to get some exercise on a Sunday morning. Yeah, totally. But I had no idea what to say when I ran out onto the field to these girls. And also, I'm only just meeting them. So I'm like, what's your name? Are you Zoe? Yeah. <laughs> the coach said this. Anyway, it was great fun. So, yeah, and congratulations. Good handball, number two. Good handball. That's right. <laughs> um, so, anyway, congratulations to our AFLW players across the board. It's been an incredible season and it was just so joyous to watch all of you. And uh, thank you for putting in the work. We know what it's like. Well, we don't know what it's like, but we acknowledge mm-hmm. the work that you're putting in. All right, B. I'm so excited to welcome our first guest to the show today. When you have a resume that is so long that the person introducing you goes, oh, I don't know how to actually, what do I, you know what, I'm just going to say her name. So let's welcome what okay. I'm calling, I'd say, one of media's biggest multitaskers, Gretel Colleen. Good morning. Good morning. Nice to see you both. It's so lovely to see you. Now, we, we have... We've invited you onto the show because you have a new book out and you're a best-selling author. Um, I've read a lot of your books with my daughter, actually. But this is your first adult novel. Um, It's not not actually my first one. I know. It's um, it's a... (laughs) It's a rumour. Um, <laughs> because that's what I read. <laughs> yeah, it's incorrect. It's, it's one of those trick things. Um, I think people get surprised at the different things that I do. Mm. Thank you for reading that um, release anyway. Um, they they don't necessarily join things together. So this is, I had a column in The Australian years and years ago when uh, as a young mum, I was a single mum and, voiceovers were my main income but my stable income was book writing so I just kept churning out books because I knew okay that way at least if I spend this much time each day and do this many pages I know I'll get this much income from the advance um but I also had a column in the Australian in those days that became a book then I wrote another book which was about um basically I think probably about me having a breakdown but thinly disguised as a, a I think it was something like 37% true autobiography because there was that one and then there was another one. But this one is in more time. Like everybody with COVID, this was the first time I'd ever written a book without a child sitting on my head because they're grown up. So I completely relate to everybody who's wanting to do more than one thing at a time. Or many books I've written was juggling. This was the first time I could concentrate and delve deeply because my kids are adults. And also COVID said to everybody, okay, let's let's reassess what we're doing. Let's not go wider, let's go deeper. So that's what I did with this book. Long answer to what was not actually a question, but there we go. <laughs> Gretel, I want to know from you, I've written one book in my life and I'll probably never do it again because it really did my head in. Uh, do you enjoy the process? Do you, are you, do you like sitting down and, and going through and trying to work out how you want to put it to life on a page? I I really enjoy my own mind um, and I feel I have a responsibility to access it and find the uniqueness of it and the way the way I see the world. Do I enjoy the physical process? No. But I balance it. I balance it because I have optimum writing time. So I start at like 6 in the morning. If I work from 6 till, and then I listen to current affairs at 7.30, which I should not do. Um, But if I can get two hours done starting at 6 and then finish, say finish at 9.30, so three and a half hours, that would be the equivalent of a nine-hour workday 
if I start later. They are just my productive hours. I also balance it because obviously I do speaking and TV things and whatever, but I also paint. I also gas bag. So <laughs> I see, you know, I'd like, so sometimes people have this notion that I'm suffering. I'm not. I'm going, blah, 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 blah. I also get really excited because my work is fiction. I find it a magical experience. I don't know where the ideas come from. Characters walk into a room and say things. And um, so for me, one, I don't think you necessarily become a writer. I think you're born a fiction writer. You feel normal when you're writing. So so you're one, Bianca. What, what was your book? <laughs> well, it was called Game On. It was all about getting the best out of yourself. So basically saying, you know, every girl needs a plan and figure out what that plan is. doesn't mean it's going to all go to plan, but just being kind to yourself and figuring out ways that you can help support yourself along the way. So it was more of a self-help okay. sort of leadership book. Great. The opposite of my book which yeah, is yeah. a woman, a woman, her daughter disappears from her life and has gone from, for four years. She has two daughters. One daughter has disappeared and the mother, this was the proudest thing in her life, the way she's raised her daughters. She's never known where, why the daughter has gone um, and she's been grieving really mm. for these four years and then the daughter suddenly rings up. She knows she's safe she talks to the other sister but the daughter suddenly rings up and says I'm getting married I'm coming back and you've got to organize the wedding so it's about three generations of mothers grandma who's got increasing dementia um, Nora the lead character and her two daughters and it's about their relationship but I don't have to tell the truth in mine Bianca I can make it up <laughs> telling the truth is a huge limitation it's and, and also, I'd be interested when you reread your book, Bianca, because you get wiser as you get older and we reach a point in our lives where we think, oh, I pretty much know everything and, and and I'll share it with people and then you get older and you realise, what was I thinking? <laughs> I didn't know anything then. Now I know everything. So yes, it'd be interesting no, to revisit I wrote it. it in 2016 and I already think some of it, I'm like cringe and go, I can't believe I thought that back then. I can't believe that's what I yeah. put down on paper. Yeah, <laughs> well, we won't tell anyone you think that. Yeah. Such is yeah. the problem of having a, a life in the sort of relative public profile though be I'm the same I look back at the things I've said in radio I'm like I'm not that person anymore but it was said yeah. by me out of my mouth yeah. <laughs> oh my yes. that's why you shouldn't speak until you're 50 no one <laughs> should utter a word I love that but Gretel when I was reading about this 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 storyline around the mother whose daughter has disappeared and they're not talking for four years. Um, my daughter's 12 and I, I'm on the precipice of feeling like she's separating herself from me. And I wonder mm. if this story of the daughter disappearing was a metaphor for the fact that in the end, all of our daughters remove themselves and away from us. And I'm, I'm so sad about that. <laughs> you know, Jo, don't be too sad because, because it, it's such an extraordinary relationship. And that's what I wanted to explore because our, our daughters want to marry us when they're little. You know, yeah. you're my best friend. Will you marry me? They think we're amazing. We can do no wrong. you got the little person with you all the time, cheering you on and so proud. And then adolescence kicks in and you're a loser. You're embarrassing. They don't want to be anywhere near you. But then it starts to come back. I, I was reading... Because it's really hurtful, isn't it, Joe? when you go through those times. But, but it is a necessary part of growing up to separate from your mum and find your own identity. And most of the time they come back and, and allow you to configure a new relationship which is actually between two women, not with the hierarchy of mother-daughter. It can take a long time and the only thing that will get you through is faith and an occasional glass of wine. But other than that, you just absolutely have to believe it's okay. And in this book, one of the things I really wanted to explore, contrary to your book, Bianca, is that you never land in the perfect place and happiness doesn't last. Wherever you think you are or that achievement, if you've achieved something, you're, you're challenged by another achievement and perhaps that, that goal will be a failure. We go on and on and on. And in this book, with the friends, she's got these madcap friends who 
are ridiculous. She wants better quality friends. But these ones are with her, with their big warm hearts. She's got the ex-husband and his wife. They're all around her. But the, the essence of it is there's, there is no perfect place. Life is a complete muddle. We come, we go. Don't try and control it. Try and enjoy it. Control who you are. Try to understand who you are. Try to understand other people. But there's so little emphasis in our lives with all the pressure of economics and the politics that's going on and pressure to compete with each other, to actually enjoy the ridiculous simplicity of the people around you. And don't aim for perfection, accept the imperfection of it. And that's in this book, they don't all reach nirvana. They they reach Wednesday, you know, and they're happy on Wednesday. <laughs> and then it starts again. Oh, that's so, so important, though, in everybody's life. That perfectionism gets us all at different stages. Um, when you yeah. finished the book, did it, did it change how you connected with your own daughter? Did you, did you think about things differently after being able to explore it so much in this other world? Yeah, interesting. I've always wanted to say to someone, good question. So, Bianca, good question. Um, uh, yes, it, it did actually because I wanted, to, I wanted to answer the question in my mind of what is mother-daughter love? What is this, the, the fact that you can be have an arch nemesis and yet at the same time be next minute be the best friend? You can be caught, the cause apparently of your child, your daughter's um, drama and, and anxiety, and yet you're the person she goes to to talk to about it. So I really wanted to to look at that. And also my mum had a fall about the same time as my daughter got married, which was a couple of years ago now. She had a fall, and, and when your parents get older, a fall is a very significant thing. It doesn't really mean you just fell. It can be the beginning of a pathway uh away from you really and her mind has got a little bit more muddled and so there was an urgency in me understanding this because what Nora realizes in the book is that everything her daughter is doing to her and has done is exactly what she did to her own mother and and she realizes that there um, there are multi-dimensions to anyone but many of us don't see our mothers as that they can be the laughing, the, the butt of jokes and oh, look at the text my mum sent as though we're idiots. And in the book, Nora takes umbrage at that because she's so offended that everything she's experienced in her life, and Joe, you'll have this when you get more and more ridiculed by your daughter, God forbid, <laughs> that, that you're a fool, you know, that you know nothing. Times are different now and, and it, it makes you wonder, well, what was all the pain, all the heartache, all the effort, all the things I tried to learn, are they worth nothing? So it was about, it, it has changed um, my relationship with my mum and my daughter read the book. She had to do it for legal reasons to make sure <laughs> I didn't say anything terrible about anyone. And it's not about my family. You know, if you write fiction, people sometimes think, Oh, did you just write literally what? Like I just sat there and went, oh, no, no. What did you say? Oh, I'll just write it <laughs> No. It's, it's theories observed and then I apply them to this imaginative world. So did it change? Yeah, I think it has helped all of us understand. And the really big thing too is as your mum gets older and slips away, it's that question of do you actually know her? Do you know yeah. this woman? You probably know your best friend better. You probably know your partner better. You probably know a character in, in a TV show or a reality show better than the little complexities and nuances of your own mum. So answer to that question, Bianca, is yes. Ooh. That's a really challenging thing too, I think, Gretel, for us to, as, you know, in our stage of life, to really inquire and be curious about our mothers while we can. Yeah, and also because my mum's a generation, I don't know if she's the same age as yours, in her 80s, well, you didn't talk about yourself. Mm. And, of course, you don't realise all these little things are actually significant. What my mum was talking about, the horse and cart that used to deliver milk and when the horse tipped over and then had to be put down and she was only a little girl, like, in the street and getting paid two cents to go and buy my grandma, my grandma her cigarettes, you know, smoking at that time and, mm. like... 
this is it, so that's what made you and there were mm. so many little incidents but we don't know that we just see the woman with the family recipes or the one who gives us a, a hug or says a silly joke but what happened in her life so it does take quite a lot of burrowing because the older your mum is the more she's been conditioned not to talk not to share emotions to do a stiff upper lip and get on with life and leave out all the little things which my mum's generation saw emotionalism and and self-focus as utter indulgence because I went through wars and depression and everything else you just get on, got on with it so yes to anyone seize the day and when your mother says not much burrow in find that story <laughs> Oh, Brittle, I really do love hearing your perspective. You're so fascinating um, and you juggle so much. Just finally, can you tell us, I mean, do you feel more driven than ever? Do you feel like you've just got so much more to achieve? I feel like, well, I don't think of the word achieve, I must say, but what has have definitely happens is we give our lives to our children and then our children move out. Anyone listening, watching, and, and you too, Joe, it's really surprising because you don't know how to construct your own life so do I feel yeah I want to same as most women of my age we hid under a bushel walk behind men um let them be on top of the pedestal and and we held the pedestal up and now I think wait a minute I don't know how many more productive years I've got I just want to keep blurting um what's in my brain I just want to keep doing it so I'm painting a painting for the Archibald while writing the next novel it's possible both are brilliant or both are really <laughs> crap well stay tuned well we want you to keep blurting Gretel we want Thank in fact you. we want all women to keep blurting and yeah there's no yeah. doubt that the older we get the more interested we are in blurting and we just don't care anymore <laughs> I reckon that's exactly right yeah <laughs> Um, get out and uh, read, a, well, purchase and read the book, My Daughter's Wedding. I can't wait to uh, wrap my eyeballs around it, Gretel. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Thanks for your time. Fantastic. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Broad Radio. Talking inspo we love, info we need, and sharing more of us. Watch and listen live every Tuesday, 9am, Australian Eastern Daylight Savings Time at broadradio.com.au or find us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube and LinkedIn at Broad Radio Oz. Talk to us live. Call on 1300 8 Broad. Catch up on demand anytime, anywhere. Every time, everywhere. On the train, we'll be here. 2am existential crisis? <laughs> We've got you covered. Broad Radio. Here for more. Bianca, I just loved that chat with Gretel. That was just, she's very wise. Wasn't it amazing? She's so amazing. And actually, I forgot to say to her, I, someone, my partner put a photo up of the two of us on his social media account on Instagram and someone commented, oh, is that Gretel Colleen's daughter talking about me? And I was oh. like, how ridiculous. Yeah, they obviously think we look alike, but oh, there you wow. go. Amazing. I should have told her that. Well, she's a glorious-looking woman, so that is a, a serious compliment. Um, I want to just mention a comment from Lillian on Facebook who says, completely agree, Gretel, accept imperfection in yourself, in others, and in your relationships. It is a... 
She gave us a really actually that's our promo for this week. <laughs> yeah. Now we're having a bit of a literary morning, Bianca, because uh, we are now going to welcome our next guest, who is guaranteed smarter than most of us. Well, definitely me, because she has a <laughs> she has a medical degree. Um, she is a former and doctor. Yeah, and you, you would agree. Um, she's not practicing anymore because she is regaining balance in her life instead, and she has written a book called Emotional <laughs> Female. And she joins us now, Yumiko Kadota. Good morning, Yumiko. Good morning. Thanks for having me, Joe and Bianca. Oh, it's lovely to see you. Can you tell us why you called your book Emotional Female? It was actually something I got called as an insult when I was at work. I, I had quite a, I guess, a firm conversation with uh, another doctor who had rung me at three o'clock in the morning about a an appointment booking an appointment and I was on call for emergency so it wasn't an appropriate phone call at three o'clock um 3 a.m <laughs> so um so so I had a word about that and he didn't like what I had to say so he decided mm. to call me an emotional female and that prompted me to think about all the different ways in which women are treated differently in the workplace because my initial thought at the time was well, initially, it made me even more emotional, ironically. Yeah. I thought, you know what, if my male colleague had said the same thing, there's no way he would have been called emotional. It was such a gendered insult. And unfortunately, sexism and misogyny is very common in medicine and particularly particularly in surgery, which is very male dominated. So that's one of the, the themes that I explore in the book. Oh, and can you actually give all of our viewers just a bit of a background? Because when I was reading what you've done and, you know, you dreamed of being a plastic surgeon and you did so many years study and then to turn it around and go, no, I've, I've had enough. I actually want to go on out there and change the world in a different way. Can you give everyone a bit of a background into that? Because I found it so fascinating. Yeah, it was something that I always wanted to do and spent a lot of time towards this dream. I went into medicine straight after high school and looking back, maybe I was too young, um, but I was 17 when I started medical school and I studied an undergraduate degree for six years. And then I was an intern and a resident in Melbourne before coming back to Sydney and doing my registrar years. So when I quit, it was my eighth year of being a doctor, and um, and that was three years ago now. But it was um, a long time towards this dream, six years of study and eight years of, of work. So that's nearly half my lifetime spent towards this goal. But um, it, eventually what made me quit was actually the, the untenable working hours. I was doing a ridiculous workload, and the hospital just didn't care when I was suffering, and... I was extremely sleep deprived and overworked and getting burnt out, which is what made me quit. But along the way, there were also other things, other challenges that I faced, both um, sexism as well as racism in the eight years of working in the public hospital. And at that stage, I thought, you know what, that's enough. I, I don't need to put up with this anymore. I don't want to be treated like that. And so I quit and I, I don't regret it at all. I feel like there's a narrative that's quite familiar in your story, Yumiko, because mm -hmm. even in the headlines in the last few weeks, we've seen allegations of racism on neighbours. We've heard Christine Holgate's mm -hmm. uh, testimony around the bullying that she alleges she experienced at the Australia Post. And really amazing people are being forced out of jobs that they're very good at and really love because of the culture. What do we need to do differently? I definitely agree that there are cultural issues in, in all industries, not just in medicine. And what I really wanted to do with the book was to shift the blame from the individual, because I think that it's easy to blame the person who leaves. And I think mm. that a lot of people find that they are gaslit or gaslighted by, I don't, I don't know what the, what the, I don't know what the word. past present of the, <laughs> the past tense of that is either. <laughs> um, either way, you kind of feel like that when you leave, you're like, you're the one with the problem. You're the one who didn't cope. You're the crazy one. And you're made to feel that it's your fault, but I wanted to change that around and, and kind of implore institutions to look at the systemic issues that are leading that are yeah causing people to leave um because no one ever talks to the person who leaves there's this survivorship bias in all industries where the people who are left behind go yep you know there's nothing wrong i'm still here and we'll do it how we've always done it and no one ever thinks about 
the people who have left or, or bother to hear from the people who have left. I mean, you know, HR departments do send exit interview surveys and things, but I don't know how many people actually go back and do an exit interview to share their experience. I think most people, by the time they leave, um, if they've had a bad experience, are just happy to move on and and not really go back there. So I think that we really need to examine what's happening in the workforce. And in surgery in particular, there's uh, an anti-bullying campaign. It's been recognised that there are high rates of bullying and harassment among surgeons and as well as sexism as well. So there are lots of issues like that that still need addressing. So how do we then go about recognising when we get to that point of burnout and we mm-hmm. can no longer keep doing it for for our own sake, really? And and I guess how bad did it get for you? What were the real moments where you're like, I'm not doing this anymore? Yeah, th- there are lots of different um, aspects of burnout. The most obvious one is that feeling of exhaustion, the physical and emotional exhaustion. But there are other domains as well. One of them is this diminished sense of personal accomplishment. So if you start doubting yourself and, and what you're doing, that might be an early sign of burnout. And the other one is cynicism or a lack of empathy. So if you're finding yourself feeling cynical about your job or your colleagues, that might also be an early sign. And, um, and it's interesting, this research into burnout, because the people who are most empathetic are the most vulnerable to burnout because you need to have that empathy in the first place to lose. So if you're a very empathetic person and you find yourself feeling less empathetic, that might be an early sign of burnout. And I think it's important to recognize these early signs so that you can stop yourself from getting to that stage. And, and for me, it was far too late. I... You know, at that stage, having worked in the hospital system for eight years, I, I'd learned how to cope with stress and to ignore it. And I kept ignoring it, kept pushing through. But the thing that really told me I was sick was when I, when I became physically unwell. I was um, driving to work one day when I, like, I don't know, am I allowed to swear? But I shut you, myself in the car. Uh, sure. <laughs> you, sh- you shut yourself in the car. I did. Oh it my was God. The- it was so, low, like a lifetime low. I was sitting there going, I'm a young, healthy person and I've just lost control of my bowels. That's oh, not wow. normal. Miko, that I can't even believe how traumatic that would have been. That was awful. You know what? I was wearing my nicest underpants as well. Oh. It was like a pink satin and lace number. So, of course, it had to be when I was wearing a matching set. Um, but I just thought, this is awful that I am... This rundown that my basic bodily functions are failing and that's when I knew that there was something terribly wrong and I went to see my GP and I just completely lost it, burst into tears and she'd never seen me like that in the, in the many years that I've known her. So that made her um, write a letter to my hospital. She was very worried about me but unfortunately the hospital didn't really care. <laughs> And other people at the hospital started to feel worried because they see me at all hours of the day and night. People working night shifts were asking me, what are you still doing here in the hospital? It's, you know, the middle of the night. Um, And even other surgeons from other specialties and the head of surgery got involved. But in the end, nothing changed. And in fact, it got worse because the night before I quit, I got sent a roster which showed that I would be working even more hours in the second half of that term because I'd be covering two colleagues for annual leave. They were off on holidays. So that's when I realised that I I just had to leave because it wasn't going to get any better. So, Miko, you've just really um, very uh, honestly shared with us some very dark times for yourself there. Mm -hmm. And the fact that you were sharing that with your employer and they really weren't listening is devastating to me to hear that. I think that's just awful because every employer has a duty of care Mm -hmm. to look after Mm -hmm. everyone that's in their workplace. Um, But I also think that we live, I don't know if this is an Australia-specific culture, but we just Mm -hmm. assume you can just keep going and keep going and keep going. And if you put your hand up and say, I'm not coping, no one one listens because, you know, you're supposed to just suck it up somehow. I think that we glamorise hard work and it's, 
it can be a very toxic thing and a, a particularly in a male dominated field there's a lot of toxic masculinity and it's almost like a competition whoever can work the most hours whoever can work you know however many days in a row is seen as like a hero and that's a very dangerous and harmful thing and it's not just for the individual that's burning out but also for the patient as well it's um it's not something that you can take lightly because we literally have people's lives in our two hands if you're tired and you make a mistake it can lead to serious problems and complications and even death for patients so i don't think i'm dramatic in saying it's a life or death situation you do really need to look after yourself in order to function at at your highest and so and and i did stress that line with the my employer as well saying i'm actually concerned about my ability to look after people because i'm this tired and i don't want to make any mistakes and mm. oh. so like you said it is very disappointing when when you reach out for help because it's not easy to do i have always been mm. a very proud person and i and i hate asking for help but i knew that at that stage my hours were not sustainable so it was a big deal for me to even admit that I, I needed some help but yeah it it was useless <laughs> well so but your book is now I'm hoping uh, a real inspiration for people who might find themselves in a similar situation where they feel completely burnt out and they don't know how mm. actually to take back some power um, how how do you want to instill courage into people I want people to put themselves first and not feel guilty for it. And I think especially as women, we always feel guilty when we put ourselves first. And so I think that there's nothing wrong with putting yourself first. It's so important. Like if you're not looking after yourself, you're not able to do anything else. And so there's no job that's worth compromising your physical and mental health. So I hope that if there are people out there in a toxic work environment that they'll think about their priorities and put themselves first and have the courage to leave because it's not worth it. Yeah. Well, Yumiko Kudota, thank you so much for joining us. The book is called Emotional Female. I think we've all been labelled that at some time <laughs> in our lives. And yeah. I, I push back exactly as you do, Yumiko, that, yeah, okay, emotional yeah. female or just expressing a need and standing up for myself. Hmm, don't know about that. I um, love the book colours. That's your colours, the broad radio colours. Yes, yeah, it's true. It's beautiful. <laughs> um, Yumiko, I must also say we love our listeners. Lillian again has uh, Googled it and she tells us that it's both gaslit and gaslighting are correct. So we can say gaslighting. Oh, okay. That's good to know. <laughs> it's really good to know. <laughs> Thanks so much, Yumiko. You have a great day. Thank you. Have a great day. Now, Bianca, I just want to um, share with you uh, something that's really important for broad radio because we've, we've only been on air since January the 5th are able mm -hmm. to broadcast one hour a week. Uh, we are very much uh, running on a very small team here, <laughs> of very passionate people, but we're able to do this because of some amazing foundation partners that came with us right from the beginning of this journey. And one of them is Morris Blackburn Lawyers. Now, I don't know, I've never ever had to see a lawyer, have you? Not personally. However, I have had experience working uh, with a legal team with in netball when I was part of the Players Association and we needed we needed lawyers to be there to help us work out what was the most important thing as athletes and what we needed, you know, in terms of our income protection and what it allowed us. And we had no knowledge of really what was available to us and what we should be asking for until we had a legal team around us actually explaining it. Yeah, exactly right. And I guess I, I would acknowledge that I'm a bit fearful of lawyers. I think if I need a lawyer or if I'm in, you know, if I need advice, it's going to be too expensive um, or, yes. you know, I, I don't really know where it's going, where I'm going to turn. Anyway, the point of working with Morris Blackburn Lawyers is that they have totally educated me and we're all about here at Broad Radio just empowering you to know your rights and to make sure that you're not fearful of asking for advice. So we really, um, we're lucky to be working with Morris Blackburn Lawyers and uh, regularly we catch up with a member of their team um, to learn all about our rights with regards to compensation um, in the injuries world. And so earlier this week, Bianca, you'll notice it was before I got my hair cut and coloured. <laughs> 
(laughs) (laughs) I uh, caught up with Morris Blackburn again, and this time we were talking about road injuries. Take a look. We're joined by Principal Lawyer for Road Injuries at Morris Blackburn, Carolyn Kovac. Hello, Carolyn. Hello, thanks for having me, Jo. Oh, it is really <clears throat> lovely to speak with you because I've learned a lot already from our conversations. So you represent people who have experienced a road injury. Can you tell us what kind of injury does that mean and why do they come to see you? Look, the, the thing about road accidents is that unfortunately they can happen to anyone. They don't discriminate. And I see uh, young children right up to the elderly. Um, If you think about an average day in your life, um, at any given time, you may be a pedestrian, you may be a driver, uh, you may be um, a passenger in a car or on a a tram or or a um, train. Um, So everyone is, you know, exposed to the possibility of a road accident. Um, I see people who have also witnessed accidents or who have lost a family member or have had a family member injured in an accident as well. Sometimes people will escape from an accident with very minor injuries only, but unfortunately many times that's not the case. And I've seen people who've suffered very significant and sometimes catastrophic injuries that have completely changed their life. Um, So why they come to see a lawyer? My experience has been that most people will come to me because usually their income support has been stopped or they've been refused a medical treatment, which they really need. Um, But ultimately, the big cause is that they're in financial distress. Um, And generally, understandably, people are quite reluctant to come and see a lawyer. Um, They're fearful about having to engage with a lawyer because of the cost um, and also just the real emotional distress that that can be caused by talking about a very traumatic event um, to a stranger, no less. So um, when people see me, they're not often aware of the the full extent of their rights under the law and what compensation is available to them uh, to help support themselves and their families. So in Victoria, where I practice as a lawyer, we have a hybrid compensation scheme, uh, which is a no-fault compensation scheme, which provides um, no-fault benefits. So regardless of whose fault the accident is, there are are some basic um, entitlements that you can access in terms of income loss, medical treatment, and also a small lump sum compensation if you've suffered a, a permanent injury. And then there's also the opportunity to sue a negligent driver if um, if you have suffered what we call a serious injury. Um, and what a serious injury is can often be contentious. Um, and again, that's why um, you need to see a lawyer often in these cases. But the opportunity for compensation isn't the same all around the country, is it? Uh, Yes, that's right. The law does vary significantly from state to state. So depending where you are in Australia, you'll have different entitlements. And that's really important um, to realise because, you know, if you're planning on going on a road trip or if you're going to be travelling extensively in another state um, by road or on a hire car, it is important to know um, what this compensation scheme is in that relevant state um, and to make sure that you're uh, looking at good travel insurance policies, um, what you can do. Sometimes there are insurance products attached to superannuation, which could provide a good top up top up depending on uh, what is available in the different compensation schemes. I'm I'm amazed to hear that because I went on a very extensive road trip around Northern Territory, didn't even look into what would have been available to me or my family should we have had an accident and they're quite dangerous roads. That's right, uh, particularly in the Northern Territory and and in that area, of course, there is no common law rights at all. There are some limited no-fault benefits that you can access, but you know the ability to sue for the pain and suffering um, and future loss of earnings and um, and other other things which you need, which can't be covered by a no-fault system, are not available to you. So wow. it's really important if you're going to go on these trips that you have really good travel insurance policies in place. So essentially though, if I have experienced an injury on the roads, I need to explore what the situation is in my state. I would then go to see a lawyer 
Um, and I understand that when someone approaches you who've experienced an injury, you have to then carry out quite extensive investigations to know exactly what happened. How do you do that? Yeah, look, this is quite common in road accidents. Um, I've seen many clients who over the years um, who have suffered head injuries and often they can only remember up to the morning of the accident. Uh, for example, when the accident may have happened that night. Uh, I recently resolved a claim for a client who suffered a very serious acquired brain injury as a result of an accident. Um, the accident occurred very early in the morning and he was the victim of a hit and run was left on the road only to unfortunately be hit again by another vehicle who stopped and rendered him assistance. Um, and he had no memory of the accident at all and was very badly injured. So in that instance, my role was to do as much detective work as possible um, involved contacting, talking to witnesses who had volunteered their names to police, reviewing police reports, ambulance reports, listening to emergency call um, transcripts, if any of those had been made, um, reviewing medical material, um, sometimes getting an expert medical opinion, uh, getting an accident reconstruction expert. There's a lot of work that needs to go on um, to really establish uh, the, your case. And Ultimately, it is up to the injured person um, who's bringing their case against a negligent driver to prove their case. The, um, the evidence test used by the courts is that you have to prove uh, on the balance of probability that the accident has occurred in the way you say it has. Um, and because the onus is on the injured person to do this, it's really essential that the evidence is collected ideally as soon as the accident has occurred. Because what we often see is uh, witnesses who are asked to provide a statement one or two years down the track, they've, they've just started to forget the details. They start to doubt their memory. Um, they And sometimes they might not remember it at all. Um, and look, independent witnesses are really important for the success of your case, um, particularly if you're an injured person who has no recall of what's happened. So it's really for this reason that we recommend that you you really should start the investigation following your accident as soon as possible. So what if I've experienced a pretty minor accident and at this point I don't think that I'm very badly injured. Would it be your advice to seek, you know, legal advice just in case? Would you sort of start that process just in case then it unfolds that you need some kind of compensation? Absolutely. My strong advice is always seek advice from a lawyer if you've been involved in an accident. Do it as soon as you can. Um, at Morris Blackburn, I act for injured people on a no-win, no-fee basis. So there's no fees or costs associated with just meeting for a lawyer for the first time. Um, there's no obligation to pursue your case, uh, but at least you've been properly advised of all your options. And if you take that first step and, and see a lawyer, you're empowered to make the right decision for yourself. And you've been armed with the right information and advice. Um, and look, what starts off as a small injury, um, unfortunately can sometimes turn into a, a, a big problem. I had a client who was a driver who was rear-ended um, at high speed by another vehicle. Uh, he didn't need to go to hospital at the time, um, but he had a very sore neck. He saw his GP and the GP said, look, you know, um, it's, it's a whiplash injury. It's understandable. You're going to be sore. Um, we'll see how you go. It'll take you a few weeks to recover. If not, we'll, you know, we'll have some physiotherapy. But things didn't improve for my client and he started to get some tingling sensations in his hands and his fingers um, and the GP didn't think it was necessary uh, to, to his accident and he continued to recommend this conservative treatment, which was reasonable at the time. Um, but what he didn't know was that this minor case of whiplash um, was actually not that at all and it, it progressed into an incomplete paraplegia with catastrophic consequences for my client um, and his family. Um, thankfully in this case we were able to obtain the relevant information we needed from witnesses. The trail hadn't gone cold in terms of evidence and proving his case. Um, the factual circumstances in this case were relatively straightforward too, but had this been a hit and run scenario or had the circumstances been disputed, um, by the time he realised he needed a lawyer uh, because his minor injury wasn't getting better, it may well have been too late or, or made the gathering of evidence really difficult. 
Um, the other thing I'd say is I've, I've also had clients who've had minor physical injuries, uh, which just haven't got better. And then they've gone on to develop some really significant psychological symptoms to the point that they've, they've gone on to develop major depression or significant PTSD or anxiety. And, you know, living in the, in the presence of, of constant pain can take a huge mental toll on, on somebody. Um, it affects people's ability to sleep, to carry out their usual activities of daily living. Um, and when people are unable to work for long periods of time, it's, it can be very isolating and a really lonely experience. So again, what starts out as what, what we think is a fairly standard and non-controversial non-controversial physical injury can have really unforeseen significant psychiatric complications too. And when you talk about uh, psychiatric injuries, I understand that you can claim if you have witnessed some kind of incident on the road. Yes, you can. Um, if you have witnessed the, the immediate aftermath of, a, of an accident um, and you suffer a psychological injury as a result, which is entirely understandable given the traumatic nature of what you've witnessed, if you then go on to suffer symptoms of an injury in your own right, you will have a claim for compensation if it's, if it's causing you to have um, symptoms which need medical treatment or time off work. So, Carolyn, I'm really interested to know how you manage as a lawyer when people come to see you, what kind of state are they in at this point and how do you assist them, I guess, and what kind of outcome do they really hope for? I mean, obviously the compensation is one thing, but are they seeking justice? Mm. Look, I think most people who come and see me following an accident are equal parts shock, anger, and fear. Um, they're at their most vulnerable. Not only are they trying to cope with what are often crippling symptoms of pain, um, they're worried about their family and the fact that they're not able to work. Um, they're preoccupied with the large number of medical appointments that they have to attend to try and get better. They're trying to protect their family members and friends from what they're going through. Um, and they're really at a complete loss um, as to what to do or, or where to start. And then the loved ones of someone who's been in an accident, they're often very angry and want justice for what's happened. Um, sometimes they want the person at fault to pay or, or just to say sorry for what has happened. Um, it's not always possible to achieve this and, and that can be hard news to give. But ultimately, I think that the people who do come to see me are, are really trying to regain a sense of control and autonomy over their situation. Um, and I think this is a really important thing to do. Um, and they do this, you know, it's important to do this through improving your health, of course, and recovering the best that you can from your injuries, but also understanding what you can do legally to protect yourself financially, um, just to take those big financial worries away. Well, I understand then from this conversation that your number one piece of advice would be don't hesitate and don't wait to ask for help and advice. Absolutely. Look, when you've been injured in an accident, it's essential that you build a support network around you. Um, that can be obviously your family and your friends, of course, but also your health professionals and your lawyer. It's never too soon to see a lawyer and there's no such thing as a dumb medical or legal question. Um, the sooner you see a lawyer, the better, because they can put things in place to ensure that if you do need to sue, um, that if you do need to um, have a dispute about your, your income or your medical treatment, the appropriate evidence collection's already begun um, and your best place to properly bring a successful claim. So look, ultimately, it's, it's really important that you surround yourself with people that you trust um, and who have your interests, uh, you know, your interests at heart and you have the freedom of choice in relation to health professionals and your lawyer. So if you don't feel comfortable, you know, and all, all supported, you can change things up, but make sure you're engaging in your recovery with the support of a, a good doctor and also the support of a lawyer, because it will make all the difference in the world to your recovery and your financial security for yourself and for your family and loved ones who are there by your, by your side in all this. Well, once again, we say thank you to Morris Blackburn for their amazing advice. And we thank you, Carolyn Kovac, uh, who is, of course, the principal lawyer for road injuries at Morris Blackburn. Thanks so much for your time, Carolyn.
Thanks, Joe. Bianca, this has been such an awesome show and it's actually one minute to 10. Technically, we're supposed to finish at 10 o'clock, but who do we answer to? We can just keep talking. Absolutely. I'm sure everyone's at work and they want to keep watching anyway. Oh, well, funny you mentioned that, actually, that we did get a a comment on YouTube from Jodie. Thank you so much for joining the conversation. She says, gee, it's hard trying to listen at work. Wish I was back working from home. (laughs) Miss you blaring in the home office every Tuesday. Oh, we're sorry that you're back at work, Jodie. (laughs) However... Pop those AirPods in. Yeah, exactly. Why not do that? But also, we are, I should mention, I forgot to mention this at the top of the show, we are also rebroadcasting this very show on Thursdays at 6pm. So uh, if you're on the train on the way home, or if you're, you know, you're cooking dinner, you can uh, whack us on the on YouTube or Facebook in the background, um, and you can catch up on the show that way. Or of course, uh, we're available on podcast, Broad Radio on the go, wherever you get your podcasts. Now, Bianca, I can't let you go without bringing up Married at First Sight um, because, <laughs> look, you have a, a fairly uh, unique perspective on the show in as much as uh, your partner is a former Married at First Sight alumni, um, beautiful Mark. He's an amazing man. Don't do that. Why are you doing that? It's <laughs> no shame. More because, of, more because of the alumni connection, not because of Mark himself. <laughs> There's been so much talk around this season of Married at First Sight. I've got to confess, I haven't really watched much of it, but what I have watched is via the sort of the comments on Twitter and all that sort of stuff. Mm. Um, In and around, I think what I think are concerning relationship habits and particularly one guy who seems to be very controlling in a relationship. And I'd love to get your perspective on this. And actually, we've already spoken a little bit about it as well with the gaslighting. And I didn't really even know much about what that was. I'd heard the term before, but I hadn't actually probably seen it in action. And this is the first season of Married at First Sight I've actually watched. And I and I love my reality TV show, the trashier, the better. And so Married at First Sight this season, one thing that really stood out to me was just it is that psychological abuse that it seems. I mean, we know those shows are edited, so we don't we don't know the full story. But you know, there were male characters on that show, and I say characters because uh, who knows what their actual real personalities are like. But yeah, on the show, it really stood out to me just the females that were strong enough and that could see it and weren't going to put up with it anymore. And then there was a female on the show, Melissa, who was partnered with Bryce. And I think the whole time we wanted her to all go, no, you're better than this. You don't need to put up with this anymore. And then you hear reports that they've filmed, you know, three months ago, they're still together. They're looking at having kids and they're looking at getting married. And, and I think the whole of Australia on Twitter were tweeting her in those final episodes going, don't stay in this relationship. You can be fine better than that. You don't need to put up with that. And so for me, it was as much as it's a trash reality show, there are a lot of uh, lessons that you can take out of it. But there's also just being able to actually see those relationships in action and, and how, you know, it's hard when you're probably in it, but on the outside to look in to go, oh, well, that's not acceptable and that's not okay. So, you know, there's a lot of talk around coercive control at the moment, as there should be, because, you know, we're trying to change legislation to recognise coercive control as criminal activity, knowing that often it starts that way and it can end up in very violent relationships. So Mm. what are we learning from watching this sort of relationship on a show like Married at First Sight when we know that there are young people watching and perhaps being taught the wrong things around respectful relationships? Well, see, I actually think what it does is it actually shows you what is not okay. You know how we we say you can't be what you can't see in terms of empowering women and being able to stand up there and do what you want to do in your life and not feel like anybody can bring you down. This is showing you and showcasing sometimes what a good and what a bad relationship looks like. And even though this particular couple stayed together, I think majority of people watching, whether they're young or old, are watching it going, no, this is not okay, because they can actually see how it's all playing out, the behaviours that are happening, the controlling ways that uh, certain people are going about things. And I actually think it's a standout to showcase that you don't have to put up with that too. So Mm. um, yeah, there's a lot of learnings to take out of it, Joe. You should watch it. Don't... (laughs) say that you don't watch and I know you have sneaky uh, little looks sometimes. I, I, well, I'm not a person that sits and watches TV. I don't watch a lot of TV because I'm building a 
I'm putting a network of our own. You're busy. (laughs) Very busy. (laughs) But I guess I would like to see the show call out the behaviour because I feel like if it's on TV, they're condoning it in a way that isn't particularly helpful. And the experts do have conversations that do kind of highlight that it's not okay. But I think the, the bit where it gets a bit blurry is that it's going to air, it's rating its mm. socks off as a show for entertainment. At what stage did the show kind of pull it up and go, Melissa, to one of the you know people on the show, are you actually okay? Like, yeah. let's take the cameras off and let's have conversations. And, you know, I know Carla, who I did the block with, she works in a welfare role now with all the block contestants. She also works in a welfare role with athletes. But it's interesting that, you know, the block know that they have to put in these welfare people around them. So whenever they talk to her, they're off mic, there's no cameras around, they do have the ability to be able to have that connection uh, away from the cameras. And I think that's really important. So I hope, fingers crossed, Married at First Sight does that as well. Absolutely, because you wouldn't say that the block is, you know, you're not in unsafe situations, generally speaking, or were you? Uh, not, No, you, you're not, but there are definitely times where you are pushed absolutely to the very nth degree. That's not just physically, psychologically, like it is. And, and everyone reacts differently. You never know however anyone's going to cope in those situations, even though people say you signed up for it you still have no idea what to expect and no way to prepare for it. Mm, Gosh, so fascinating. Thanks so much for sharing that, Bianca. And thanks for being my co-host on Broad Radio today. You're joining me next week as well. I am. And I've loved all of our fabulous guests today. It's been awesome. So I can't wait for next week. Yeah, it has been really awesome. And uh, thank you too for everybody who's been commenting on Facebook and YouTube. It's lovely to have you as a part of the conversation. We will see you next week on Broad Radio. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.